Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 196. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, happy to be joined by Adam Benayoun. Adam, how's it going, man? It's going great, Steve. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to have you too. I was talking to Emily Kwok, mutual friend, and she was saying, you got to get Adam on the podcast. And I asked her, what should I talk to this guy about? And Emily said, he's just a really good, lovely person, and you should talk to him about that. And I thought, you know, that's awesome. I don't know if I can spin off a whole conversation about that on a podcast, but <laughs> that was her recommendation. With that said, though, Adam, I'd love to turn this over to you quickly. Why don't you give yourself a quick introduction just so that everyone else knows how lovely you are? <laughs> well, I appreciate Emily saying that. I don't know how much I'd agree with her, but um, <laughs> but yeah, my name is Adam. I'm a jujitsu black belt. I've been training for like 15 years. I'm currently in Virginia. Uh, I've been training with Ryan Hall out here for the last five. Prior to that, I was living in New York, training at Marcello's. And before that, I was still in New York. I was at, uh, I started at Fabio Clemente's gym with Lucas Lepri and Bab. So I've been training jujitsu for a long time, bouncing around. And now I'm uh, trying to get my academy up and running. So yeah, just been like immersed in jujitsu for the last while. And, and here I am. <laughs> well, let's give that a quick plug. I mean, we'll talk about it at the end, I'm sure. But have you settled on a, a name for the new academy? Is there anywhere where people can go and follow it so that they know when it's open? Yeah, the name is Black Hat Jiu-Jitsu. It's in Springfield, Virginia. So if you guys are ever in the DC area, just just come by. I'll be waiting. That is a great name. Black Cat Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's tricky when you're trying to figure out the name for a martial arts gym. And that was always something that I had in my head. Like I had a black cat growing up that I loved a bunch. I have a black cat tattooed on my arm. And one day I was like, black cat jiu-jitsu, black cat jiu-jitsu. I kind of like it. And I liked how it sounded if I was like, yeah, just meet me a black cat. It's like easy, rolls off the tongue. So, so I wound up going with it. Definitely does. Well, with that said, we were talking about different things we could dig into here. And you had mentioned that you're in the process of working on a K-Guard instructional, which is a topic I've wanted to get into for a long time. So tell me a little bit about that. I mean, I would love to know what your thoughts are on, on K-Guard, how you discovered it, how you started integrating it into your game, what you like about it, and ultimately why you decided that you wanted to put out some content about this particular guard. Yeah, so I've been playing K-Guard for a really long time, I think since maybe Purple Belt, so on probably like close to 10 years I've been using the position, but I guess I was never super in tune with like the names and what people were calling it, and 
when Lacklin went on on his ADCC run and, and tapped a lot of people, he used a bunch of K-Guard. And I felt like it started to get a lot more, I guess, like publicly recognized as a really, really useful position. But I had been using K-Guard and backside 50-50 for a while at that point. So I think I just kept getting in the weeds, kept working on the position more and more. And now going to be putting out an instructional with BJJ Fanatics. It's something that they, you know, ask you what you want to work on. And that came to mind as a really, really useful position. And part of the reason that I think it's it's such a good piece is because it's it's accessible no matter the orientation that your partner sets in front of you, which most guards don't really take care of. Like, for example, butterfly guard is typically done when people are on both knees. Something like spider guards, you're going to be playing... Spider guards actually kind of unique. Like spider guards, you can play when they're standing, one knee up, one knee down, both knees on the mat, but you take off the gi and then it's no longer accessible, right? So like having guards that you can use that go from orientation to orientation to orientation without being taken off the table, I find to be like very, very valuable. Yeah, there's definitely some versatility in K-Guard, and my K-Guard story of discovery is very similar to yours. Now, I am not a K-Guard specialist by any stretch, which is actually why I'm excited about this conversation, because that means that I can act as the dumbass here, and I can ask dumb questions, and you can help me learn it. But on that front, I learned K-Guard around the same time, I think, that you did, where Lachlan brought a ton of attention to it. My instructor picked it up and brought it into the gym, and I remember the first time he he used it on me. At first, I thought, okay, what is this thing? It seems kind of dumb. And then the next thing I knew, I basically almost face planted into the mat because he went for this like K-Guard Omoplata thing. <laughs> it just knocked me over so fast that I couldn't believe it. So it was at that point that I kind of realized this thing probably merits a little bit of further study. Now, one thing about K-Guard is I don't know about you, but I find it hard to explain. And of course, this is an audio podcast, so it gets tricky. I find it kind of hard to explain to people what exactly it is. So how do you describe it mechanically? You know, what would you say that K-Guard actually is in terms of what you're doing with your body when you apply that technique in jiu-jitsu? Well, I mean... I could break down the step-by-step. I'm putting my hand here and I'm putting my leg there, but I don't really think that that covers what's actually happening. What you're trying to do from any guard is like find ways to destabilize your opponent and find ways to make them stumble in different directions. And then depending on how you make them stumble, they're going to have some sort of response and then you're going to have to repeat that process over and over and over and over and over until eventually you get through. And what typically happens with like newer people is you create one destabilization and they stumble and then you capitalize on them. But with skilled opponents, you have to create this back and forth several times through before you're able to like be successful. So I think that like my focus with K-Guard is being able to create that and being able to use different neighboring positions and submissions to make the off balance and the kind of like conversation that happens after the off balance, something that's a little bit more dangerous. It's not just like, oh, I feel like I'm going to fall and then I get to catch myself. It's like, I feel like I'm going to fall and now I feel like I'm going to get tapped, you know? Or I feel like I'm going to fall and now I feel like you're on my back. So being able to create that from K-Guard is what I'm trying to do. I, I get that that's kind of a general answer because that's what I'm trying to do from pretty much all guards. But like, I don't know, just the way that I think about jujitsu now is, is, is a little bit less specific as far as the like grip here grip there and a little bit more like how can i make destabilization happen you know as far as like my guard is concerned yeah i think generally that's a good practice in terms of how to think about things because you're right i find that the utility of 
put your one hand here, put one foot here is not a particularly helpful explanation because that's going to fall apart as soon as your opponent does something that deviates from what you expect, which normally takes right. about half a second for them to do. Right. So that kind of instruction, I, I prefer to avoid and I prefer to go and talk more about big ideas and big themes. And I'd say, I mean, if I were to try to describe K-Guard at a high level in terms of what differentiates it from other guards, one of the weird things about K-Guard is that you're kind of using one of your legs as a frame. And tell me again if you disagree with this or if there's a better way to, to explain it. But you're using one of your legs as a frame against your opponent. And what's kind of odd about it is you often have your knee either on the ground or near the ground, and you're kind of sticking your foot up in the air, like a kind of like a pole, which is a little bit odd in terms of how guards normally work. So that's kind of one of the things about K-Guard that is interesting and differentiating. And the position Positioning your leg that way, where you kind of got your foot up and your knee down, it allows you to use that basically your calf and your leg and your foot like a frame to do what you talked about, to manipulate your opponent, off balance them, and eventually to try to knock them over or secure a submission. Would you agree with that assessment or do you have a better way to kind of explain what this thing is? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that, I mean, I'm trying to like visualize what you were saying, but with that that free foot, I would definitely say that that's kind of like your prodding tool from the position. I'll use that guy to, like you said, create destabilization. What's going on with like my inside knee and my inside arm is I'm anchoring myself to you. I'm making it really, really difficult for it to be a position that you can just leave. And if you look at you know, a lot of guards, you almost have like a gentleman's agreement on who's going to leave and who's going to stay. Um, it's like, hey, I'm on bottom, so you will like try to pass my guard. But what happens is if people disengage a lot, it's really, really tricky to make that happen. So I'd say that like for me, one of the big benefits of K-Guard is that I'm able to anchor myself to you and I'm almost like your drunk friend that you have to like drag around. Like I'm, I'm really connected and sticky. And then I can use my free leg to kind of prod and off balance and destabilize and, you know, try to find basically ways to make you stumble without overcomplicating. That's a really great point and a great explanation of K-Guard. And I think you've touched on something that is really cool about K-Guard, which is it is very versatile. Like you said, there is this weird gentleman's agreement in jiu-jitsu. And it's funny you, you mentioned that because I was literally just thinking about this yesterday as I was sparring. I was with an opponent who was just more than willing to just play whatever guard I wanted, which is kind of one of the weird things about jiu-jitsu. People will just walk into your guard and often play whatever it is you want to play. And one of the first things that you learn strategically as you get more experienced is you are not by any means required to just amble into your opponent's guard and play things that they want to play. And in fact, there are a lot of guards that are situational. And they really only work if your opponent lets you play them. I mean, you brought up Butterfly Guard. That's a great example, right? It is relatively easy if you, as the person on top, don't want to play Butterfly Guard. It's usually relatively easy to just refuse to play it and to back out. There's a lot of guards like that where just by refusing to engage there, you can shut the whole thing down. And I know that for a lot of junior belts, this can be a confusing thing because often with junior belts, they get it into their head that, you know, I want to have this one guard. They'll think to themselves something like, hey, my guard is butterfly guard, and that's the guard I want to play. And that all sounds well and good until you realize that many guards are situational and your opponent can often just choose not to let you play them. But K-Guard is great for the reasons you brought up. You can kind of pull K-Guard out of anywhere as long as, like you said, you can hook onto their leg and then get your foot up in the air. 
Yeah. But I think that what you were mentioning is like a reasonable thing. I love the idea that we'll be able to play every guard, but in order to do that, you have to kind of go through the trials and tribulations of learning how to play. Like you said, maybe it's butterfly guard and then you get really, really good at that. And some people take that all the way from white belt to black belt and they can make a whole career from that. Other people will add a new tool and add a new tool and add a new tool. So I don't fault people for becoming specialists at a guard. I definitely feel like that's the route that I took. And that's also a way that you can feel dangerous early on in your jiu-jitsu or your jiu-jitsu career or journey, or even if you're just a hobbyist, like if you get really, really good at a thing and then you can funnel people there, you're going to have good chances of being successful. I guess it's just, it's so dependent. You were talking, we were talking about this gentleman's agreement. It's just so dependent on what the other person is trying to get out of the round. Are we training and we're both trying to get as much experience from the round as possible? Are we competing and you're trying to be really strategic? There's just so many different, I guess, lenses that you could assess jujitsu from. So I think that it's a good thing for people to kind of be specialists up until a point. And I think that with the gentleman's agreement, it's kind of, um, it's just so dependent on how people choose to grapple you. There's a lot of inconsistencies in tournaments. Sometimes you'll have a match with someone that's really, really, like excited to engage and you have a really fun like jujitsu filled match and then the next match could be someone that just skirts around on the outside so it's just you have to have different tools you know as you progress to be able to to make your jujitsu ultimately matter and i just think that for me this position in particular has been a way to facilitate that because i'm like oh i have this tool over here that i can connect to k guard like it's just been like a almost like a bridge that connects me into all of these other guards that I'm comfortable with. And it's a very accessible bridge. Yeah, that's also an important thing too. this idea of connecting guards together. And I have the feeling that we're probably going to wind up uh, citing Lachlan many times on this episode, it being about K-Guard and all. But something that Lachlan said last time he was on this podcast, and I've heard him say elsewhere, is that not all guards chain together well. And part of having a good game plan is making sure that out of all of the positions and techniques that you want to play, you have a way to connect from point A to point B. Because some guards, I mean, as an example, if you're playing an inside guard like butterfly guard, it can be a challenge to switch those to a more outside-oriented guard whenever you want, um, just because there's a lot of distance to travel, your opponent might be in the way. And so when you're putting together your game plan, it, if you've just got three different positions that you're good at, but you have no way to bleed between them and switch between them, that's not really much of a game plan and you're likely going to get exposed. So things like K-Guard can be nice because it can be a good intermediary position where you can use it to start chaining other things together. Because like you said, it is relatively easy and straightforward to get into or to get out of. Right. It's just once you get there, what are we going to do? <laughs> you yeah. know, and if you don't have, if you don't have, like you said, surrounding pieces that really complement the position, you can definitely be in trouble. And I think that that was one of the, I guess, attractive pieces for me. Before I started really utilizing the position, I was good at De La Hiva, I was good at 50-50, I was good on the back. So K-Guard was kind of like a natural a natural bridge. So with that said, though, you've talked about K-Guard as a connective position. And clearly, this is something you've put a lot of thought into if you've got an instructional coming out. So I would ask, if we were to unpack the way that you've organized this instructional or that you're planning to, what do you kind of see as the main connective pathways into and out of K-Guard? I'd love to explore how you particularly put this in practice. 
Yeah, so I think just being able to really quickly identify how people are approaching your guard is really important. You can either be one foot forward, one foot back, and you can have that orientation standing or kind of one knee on the ground. You can be square with me where you have kind of like your feet in line, or you can be on both knees. And and that's really it. So as long as I have a way to connect to different guards based off what orientation you're presenting in front of me, I should be able to find ways to be successful. So with K guard and with this instructional, I want to just go over different ways to access the position and different ways to access the kind of neighboring threatening weapons that you'll have available, like the heel hook from backside 50-50, 50-50 as a position, the crab ride, the matrix, using Delaheva to get to K guard. I spent so much time training in the gi, and I feel like it was really in the gi that I started to use the position. And then I think, like like you said, Lackland opened up a lot of people's eyes to how effective it could really, really be. So yeah, I think just for me, I want to get in the weeds with how to get there from everywhere. Because for me, that's been the biggest tool, you know, um, coming up through the ranks. Like Delahiva is a good example. I, I, I use that guard effectively, but if you did something like put both knees on the mat, I would really, really struggle. I'd be like, man, I haven't figured out what to do when people do this yet. So having different ways to either incentivize you to get where I wanted you or just to access a different position that I was comfortable with was was a struggle. You know, so I think just having some ways to navigate around that is 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 important. I remember that being a big moment for me when I I realized that I can look at what my opponent is doing with their feet and that can inform the type of guard that I want to play because I too have had similar issues. You know, I I want to play a particular type of guard and then my opponent does something unexpected like they I don't know, they stand up or maybe they change the range backing out, getting uh, farther right. away or coming in closer and now whatever guard I wanted to play just isn't going to work. And I think once you start getting to, you know, purple or brown belt, you start identifying that and you realize that the position of your opponent's legs is a tell that you can use to determine which guard is best to play. I mean, you brought up a great example of if their stance is squared, that's one thing. If their stance is staggered, well, which leg are they leading with? Because that determines what you can get into, right? If someone is leading with one leg, it's going to be a lot easier to pull into things like Delahiva, for instance. Whereas if they have a squared stance, that's probably not going to be too easy to get into. If they kneel down, are they kneeling on one leg or two leg? Very different situations. And like you said, one of the nice things about K-Guard is it usually has some sort of application regardless. I would say that other guards, you know, Butterfly Guard, a great example. If your opponent backs out and stands up, You've got to get out of there, right? You got to do something. You can't just continue to sit there in a little ball on the floor. You have to either chase them or close the distance, get underneath them. You've got to do something. Whereas K guard has applications regardless of whether your opponent is standing, kneeling. I'd love for you to explore that a little bit. If you could maybe talk in detail about what the different applications are of K guard versus like a standing or a kneeling opponent. Yeah. So I think the first thing that I would say, piggybacking off what you were mentioning, was that this could be a personal thing, but but I feel fairly ambidextrous in that position. Like you were mentioning people just changing their lead and how that could be a problem. I think that an issue that most people start to pick up on, probably like blue belt, purple belt, is that if people start to stand with their left foot forward, 
that could present some difficulty. You know, most people develop like a good De La Hiva on like a righty lead because most people tend to pass with their right leg forward. So having like that awareness is really, really important and being able to recognize whether they're standing right foot lead versus left foot lead. And then I think from a guard passing perspective, you know, if I can tell that people aren't comfortable, if I'm passing with my left leg forward, do I have the ability to switch it up and be kind of ambidextrous with my passing game? So at least for me, K-Guard has never felt super one-sided while if you put me you know i felt like for a while if you put me in like one leg x on my offside i would feel like i just went back down a couple levels so mm. i would have to find different ways to either not be in that position or put myself in that position intentionally so i could work on it or have different ways out of that position and back into something i was comfortable with so at least for me i've always felt fairly ambidextrous in k guard when people would start leading with their left leg and i would start to latch onto it and swim my arm through to, to connect the position it never felt foreign or as foreign as some other guards would so i would say that you know seeing if that's something for you in the beginning i think is important anytime a position feels for familiar and doesn't feel like super unusual. I think it's something to explore. And then as far as the different orientations go, I think that I started to use this against bigger guys and, and as a way of getting underneath them. I'm not that big. I'm like 150, 155. And I would find that when I was training with some of the more experienced bigger guys, if they would just pass on their knees and stay really, really low, it would be difficult for me to use some of the positions that I was more comfortable with, like reverse De La Hiva and De La Hiva. It's like, how can I use something that will get me underneath these guys? And is it even possible to do while they're on both knees? So it's just something I just started to play around with from that orientation first. I think in Originally, I, I might have seen the Meow Brothers using it. Like I saw them latching to people's far legs when people would get really, really low to stop the inside spin, and and then from there, you know, like I started to realize, wow, people will post a knee up if I could create like a certain off balance. And then all of a sudden, they're on one foot, right? So it's just a way to kind of like break through people's base and and get people to change their base for me. That's just been very useful. So I think that identifying different ways to create this destabilization from the position and identifying different ways to make yourself like be able to recreate it is is what we're going for and and hopefully like we'll give you a reliable pathway to to connecting with your opponent and, and making your jiu-jitsu matter i'd love to explore this bit about how you said you use it against bigger people and i can totally understand why you would do that i generally find that when i'm giving up a lot of size or strength to a, an opponent I generally find I have the best luck when I can wrap my entire body around one part of their body, like for example, their leg. So I will play a lot of things like single leg X guard against bigger people. I've just had good luck with it. I mean, again, your mileage may vary, but like you mentioned, one of the things about K guard is it is such a good entry into entanglements where you can do that. You can basically start applying overwhelming force against someone's leg to take out their base. I think that's one of the big reasons why it probably is so effective against bigger people people and why we've seen Lachlan apply it in that manner. But I would love to hear you expand on that. Are there any particular reasons why you think K-Guard is just that good against bigger people? Well, yeah. So for me, it wasn't so much a size or strength thing. It was more the kind of way that bigger people tend to do jujitsu. And I think that one thing about Lachlan's performance, which was incredible, was that like he was able to I think it was his second match where Cyborg, I forgot who it was, I, I, the name is slipping me, but Cyborg was like aggressively coaching his opponent to like 
basically stop doing like little guy jujitsu. <laughs> and I felt like when I would train with bigger guys that were, were experienced, they wouldn't pass like small guys. They wouldn't pass like, like a featherweight or a lightweight. They would stay low. They would stay on both knees. It would be really, really difficult for me to access the space underneath them. So that was my initial reasoning for wanting to use K-Guard. I felt like I could get underneath them and I would have different ways to create destabilization without feeling like I would just get immediately smushed or like like they could fall through the gaps easily. So I think that recognizing, at least for me, that I could get this going when people were on both knees was like a huge tool. And then I just kind of like troubleshooted it, like put it in the lab, saw what I would get, what would work, what wouldn't, how people would get through the cracks, how people would start to pass, like what openings people would find. And I always just felt like from that position, like from the person having both knees on the mat, I could create offense while otherwise I would be really struggling. I'd be left like trying to create reverse De La Hiva and it would be really, really difficult. Or I would start like sitting up and that really wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to find ways underneath. So I think just using the position to get under your opponent is something that you can really make happen in ways that other guards weren't really providing for me. And you bring up a great point there too, which is that the beauty of a move like this is it's a great tool for getting under your opponent, but also to do it in a somewhat safe fashion. I actually, in my mind anyway, I think of K-Guard as being somewhat similar to Deep Half-Guard because some of the ideas are the same. You're basically trying to pull yourself right up to the person's leg and hug their leg. But the challenge with doing that in Deep Half-Guard is if your opponent can base, there's nothing stopping them from just smashing you, right? And, and that is why I, I don't personally play Deep Half-Guard basically at all because if, if something goes wrong, they're going to get access to your head and they're going to sprawl down on you and it's going to be terrible. Whereas with K-Guard... In addition to trying to hug their leg, you're using your your foot as a frame, and that makes it really hard for them to do that because on one hand, you're latching onto their leg and you're pulling it tight, but on the other hand, you've got a bit of that uh, framing push action with your foot, so they can't just easily sprawl down on top of you. So I kind of see that in some ways as almost like the best of both worlds, where it allows you to do that idea of deep half guard, which is getting close under them and hug that leg, but to do it in a bit more of a safe fashion because you're less likely to just get squished on the bottom. Yeah, and I just think that the the big difference between the two positions are the neighboring tools that you'll have accessible to you. I'd say that like deep half, there's going to be certain positions that get constantly recreated from there. And there is going to be some crossover. Like I would say that deep half will kind of lend itself to people getting towards your back and people getting to 50-50. But you're not going to be going like deep half to De La Hiva, while K-Guard to De La Hiva is a really, really common transition. So yeah, I would definitely agree with you that they're similar. I think it's just at least for me it's having the kind of more open guard style of like de la Hiva, spider collar sleeve in the gi and being able to to connect that with something that would give me good no gi leg entanglements was like a like this like aha moment while with deep half guard i was getting myself completely underneath and if i wasn't able to you know make a back attack or a waiter sweep work i wasn't in a position where i could very quickly get back to the guards that i was comfortable or most comfortable yeah, I've, I've talked about that before is this idea of understanding the level of commitment to any technique you want to do. And I would say that in terms of commitment, deep half guard is one of the most committed positions you can do. It's almost like a sacrifice position because if you go there and it works beautiful, right? You're going to get that sweep. You're going to off balance the person. You can wobble back and forth and eventually wind up on top. If it fails, they're going to sprawl and cross face you and smash you. Whereas 
I think that K-Guard is a less committed technique. You don't have to go right under your opponent in the same way. You also, one of the beautiful things about K-Guard is while you're doing this, you get to maintain that really strong elbow-knee connection because since your knee is on the ground, you're able to close off that space. And that means even if your opponent is able to disentangle and start trying to pass, it's going to be hard for them to do it because you can close that elbow-knee space and make it really hard for them to secure the pass. Whereas, again, if we're going to pick on deep half guard, you kind of have to be stretched out. And so if your opponent is able to get free and, and sprawl on you, they're almost guaranteed to get side control, right? Whereas with K-Guard, you can kind of weave in and out of it much, much safer because, again, by keeping compact and keeping your elbows and your knees closed and together, very hard for your opponent to just unravel it and pass. What's more likely is even if they unravel it, you're still going to be tied up in a, in a tiny little ball and they might be able to spin you around a bit, but then eventually you can escape and restore K-Guard. And you see Lachlan do this a lot when he's sparring against bigger people, right? He will he will pull K-Guard, they'll basically squish him, but he maintains that K-Guard elbow-knee connection and eventually he's able to get out and get back to where he wants to go. Yeah, I agree completely. It's a great utility in that regard that it just connects you back to all of these like a uh, comfortable kind of like closed off, really tight elbow-knee space positions that open guard players tend to utilize but just to be the I, we just hated on deep half a little bit just to be like an advocate of deep half for a second the things that you mentioned as deficits of the position like you guys being a lot more connected things being a lot more just a lot closer can definitely work in the deep half players advantage and i think that that's one of the things that people tend to get intrigued by in jujitsu as you get more and more skillful is this idea of like i'm going to be very connected to you i'm okay with the idea that like we're going to be close and we're going to kind of exchange and whoever wins these deep exchanges is going to be the one that gets ahead that's also you know it's a double-edged sword it's what makes the position scary i'm going to be really close i'm going to be really dangerous but if i make any mistakes you can definitely get through the gaps so deep half has been um, a cool like side project for me i've always like used the waiter sweep a lot and thought that was like a fantastic tool but i've never been super successful with deep half so yeah it is a really cool position but it's just like you said the neighboring the neighboring tools aren't like the premier guards for me and if i do make mistakes i can definitely get myself in trouble yeah, yeah. And, you know, to clarify, I, I'm not necessarily trying to hate on deep half. I mean, I think that the connectedness, especially when you're underneath your opponent, it's basically a guaranteed sweep, right? If you can get right into actual deep half where you're hugging your ear to their leg, at that point, it's almost impossible for your opponent to do anything about it other than give up the sweep. My main criticism of that position is the entry is the part that's risky because if you fail to get under them and get that connection, you're probably going to get sprawled on and passed. Whereas I would say with K-Guard, you still have that awesome benefit of being able to get under the person. But if you fail, like if you try to, to go in and slide in under them, but for some reason, you're just not able to get in close enough or establish K-Guard, it's just easier to get back out to a more neutral position. Whereas in deep half guard, if you fail, mostly because your head is somewhat unprotected, you're likely to just get cross-faced and smashed. And the, the foot shield that you're using as a frame makes it a lot harder to do that if you're playing K-Guard. That's my main, my main argument. They both work very well, but I would just say that for most people, for the reasons you brought up, you know, it's, uh, it's slightly a lower committed technique. And also there's a lot of things that you can chain it to. I think K-Guard is definitely something for most people that's worth exploring, especially given that it's applicable in both the gi and without. 
Yeah. And if you're trying to use it in the gi, I would play around with Squid Guard, which is something that Keenan Cornelius uses a ton. It's like you feed the lapel through. It's really, really annoying, really, really hard to pass. So it's just like you can get really in the weeds with how you're anchoring yourself to that leg. And yeah, it's been a, a really, really fun just position to explore. Let me ask you a, an injury prevention question. The one thing that that I wondered about when I was first introduced to K-Guard is – do I have to worry about what's going on with my my leg here? Because you're kind of in this position where, you know, you've got that that foot that you're using as a shield. Your knee is on the ground. Your foot is up in the air. And I always worried if my opponent tries to collapse this frame and they sprawl on my leg at the wrong angle, is that going to do something to my knee? And I'd love to explore that with you as to whether there's any safety concerns or things that you can do to prevent injury when you're going for K-Guard. Yeah, you're referring to the inside leg, right? Yeah, I'm referring to the leg that you're basically using as a frame, right? So let's say that I go into K-Guard and I try to underhook your leg with my right arm, right? So I'm trying to hug my right ear to your leg and I'm using my right arm. My my K-Guard frame is going to be my right leg and I'm going to have the knee kind of on the floor and my foot upwards, probably trying to dig into your hips or your ribs or maybe your armpit or something. Yeah. So my question is, in that situation, I always worry because I'm paranoid about this. If the other dude's brawls on top. Is there any possibility of my my knee getting twisted in a weird angle that I didn't expect? That's something that I'm always looking to understand is, is there a way to prevent injury from that position? Yeah. So a couple things. I would say that first, I use both legs as my frame. Like my free leg in that situation you were describing getting to K-Guard with your right arm, my left leg would be very actively framing my partner. It would definitely be like a, a utility that I was using to prod and create destabilization, but it would be pretty much connected to them. Like the sole of my foot would be connected to them at any chance that I could. I could get it. And as far as injury prevention, making sure that you're aware of your alignment when you're playing this position is super, super important. So you were mentioning your foot being the frame, and I would say that like I, I disagree in that regard. Any time that we're playing any guard, like our really our whole body should be acting as a frame. So when I'm playing K-Guard, I'm thinking about keeping my foot, my knee, my hip, and my shoulder in line, which is ultimately connected with the ground. So when you're driving into me or if you're sprawling away from me, Really, I would say more if you're driving into me. It should feel like you're driving into a stick. It should feel propped up and solid. If there's any misalignment through my body and through my frame, you'll be able to squish me. And if you're big and you're strong and you're able to put enough force down, I could absolutely get hurt. But if I'm creating a structure with my body through the position that's reliant on like the density of my bones to keep me safe and not the elasticity of my ligaments, I feel pretty good about it. So I would say that I'm very, very focused on my alignment when I'm playing the position. And if at any point I see my body out of alignment, I try to correct it as soon as possible. Yeah, that's a really, really awesome point. And again, something that's applicable, not just to K-Guard, but to pretty much any guard. All guards. Yeah, it's very easy for people to, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, sometimes when people see a particular guard, there's one obvious point of contact and people tend to hyperfixate on that. So a common example I give is Delahiva guard. People often, when they see that, they think it's all about the Delahiva hook and that's kind of the priority. But in reality, the Delahiva hook is actually not that important. It's more about, okay, what are you doing with your other leg? What are your hands doing? You need that Delahiva hook because that's kind of how you turn them to the side and off balance them. But without actually using your other leg and your arms effectively, you have no chance of holding your opponent in that position, right? So the, the thing that looks like it's the obvious control point 
is not always the obvious control point. And you bring up a good point here with K-Guard. It's very much the same. It's not all about that one leg. It's about aligning your whole body. Because if you do get hyper-focused on that one leg and you twist it at a funny angle, yes, you've got a problem. But if you keep yourself aligned and you're not just using that one leg as a frame, but your whole body in concert, so you've got two arms, two legs, you're using them all as weapons, then it's going to be a lot less likely that your opponent is going to sprawl on that one leg and twist it sideways. Yeah, and even if they do lean on me, they should be leaning into like a structure, like a solid mm-hmm. structure. So yeah, I think that's important. I think if you look at how like most people play De La Hiva, their knee will be out of alignment with their foot and their hip. So let's say you're passing with your right leg forward, and I'm playing De La Hiva with my left leg being the hook. I'll hook behind that leg, and oftentimes what happens is that left knee will be kind of outward, and the person's hip will be you know, in line with their foot. So you're creating this imbalance through the position. And, you know, usually you can still get away with it. That's the cool thing about jujitsu. You don't have to be perfect to make these things work. I mean, at least against like a moderate opposition or like not great opposition, but you know, you could really get by. I think for me, it's been like getting a little older, at least for, you know, being an athlete in jujitsu and having some injuries that made me really focus on like, okay, what am I doing with my body? That's like getting me injured or making things sore, like how can I be more efficient with my movement to not just prevent injury, but to to make sure that like my the injuries that I have had are, you know, getting fixed and getting worked on. Yeah, that's something that to me has also been a focus as I go to older. I'm turning 40 this month, so obviously very much top of mind. For me, I want to make sure that I can, you know, commit to training for as long as possible. And so injury prevention is always something that I focus on. And maintaining your alignment, like you said, is just such a key part of that. It's very easy when you're early on in jujitsu to lose track of what your arms and legs are doing. And a lot of injuries just happen because your arm or leg was twisted at an unnatural angle because you weren't paying attention to it. It's kind of turns into an unathletic angle and then your opponent zigs instead of zagging and you're done, right? Whereas if you focus on alignment and you just try to avoid these positions where there's that awkward twist and you keep your body in a position where it feels natural, you can athletic load up weight, you can athletically generate force, is just a lot less likely that you're going to have injuries because it's going to be harder for anything to get twisted in the wrong direction. But you're right, though, that there are people, you know, we all have different body types, and there are people who can play things in the way that might look wrong, but ultimately, everybody's body is different. I mean, I know people, like you said, who they can play Delahiva with the knee splayed out like that. I certainly can't. I've got to have my knee up and down, right? It's got to be completely vertical to be effective. But some people, just, I guess, due to their joints or the length of their limbs, they can do it differently. And, it, you know, it's very much a thing where, like you said, your mileage may vary. Everyone may have different things that work better for them. And a lot of it is just being in tune with your own body. Yeah. I think I started training when I was relatively young. So I didn't, I was like Gumby and I was a kid, you know, well, I was 16, you know, so I was for the most part a kid. Like I, I didn't have any injuries. My body could bend in weird ways and I wasn't an athlete growing up. So I never had anybody stressing to me the importance of actually like being an athletic position or loading my body into like proper posture. And that's just, it's something that's taught 
you know, if you're growing up doing a sport and you're lifting, like you'll hear them repeat these things. But if you just like are like a 16 year old kid and go to a jujitsu gym, people aren't like teaching you how to move your body correctly. They're teaching you how to like do jujitsu moves. So this has been something that Ryan's helped me with a ton, just like moving more athletically and like cheating as much power out of my body as I can get, you know? And I think that being more aware of that, doing some strength and conditioning, seeing where it's applicable in my martial arts has just made a huge, a huge difference. And, and just apart from the injury prevention side, it's just, it's giving me ways to be more efficient and to be more powerful and to give myself the best chance of having like a perfect position or a perfect technique, you know? And if you almost like statted it out like a video game, you're like, well, if I could just improve my posture and that gave me like rewards mm -hmm. elsewhere, like why wouldn't I do that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would ask here on this note, you know, you've talked about your work with Ryan Hall and Ryan is obviously a, just a legend when it comes to conceptual thinking. You know, this podcast and a lot of the other concept stuff out there like Rob Bernanke's work is very much inspired by Ryan Hall. I would love to know if you have any thoughts on uh, on K-Guard specifically in terms of big picture concepts. You know, if you were to explain K-Guard to a student, you brought up how many instructors, they kind of just go right into the reads and they start talking about nitty gritty technical how-to details that ultimately don't really mean that much at the the end of the day and they can mislead people about what's important i'd love to explore how you teach these this position so if i were to walk into your academy and i've never seen k guard before what are the first things that you explain in terms of what to know about this move well it would that would be kind of dependent on your experience level if you were you know a black belt with a bunch of neighboring skills and i could definitely explain it to you with certain ideas in mind. If you were a blue belt and you were like, hey, Adam, what's K-Guard? I would also have different ideas of what I would kind of show you. But I think that at its core, what I would hopefully start with is just being able to build a solid foundational layer to your position. And I think that, you know, far too often people will look at these positions and they'll look at like the end result, you know, like you watch K-Guard or you type it in on YouTube and you see Lachlan highlight all, all of these people in ADCC, you're like, okay, show me the heel hook. And it's like, well, hold on there. You know what I mean? I would really focus on building a strong foundation of the position. And that would be you know, kind of consisting of like recognizing how to set good walls, how to set good frames that would stop you from getting smushed. How do we create destabilization? What happens if I take you right? What happens if I take you left? Can I take you forward? Can I take you backwards? Can I move you up and down? I would try to explore different ways to create destabilization and different ways to keep yourself safe. And then once we kind of had that in tune, I would talk about the neighboring positions because that is ultimately how you're going to get a lot of mileage out of K-Guard. If you watch someone like uh, Espen, for example, he uses K-Guard to get towards the matrix. That's like a position that he's developed a lot of the time. You know, you'll see it happen from like De La Hiva as well, but that's a position that he funnels himself into from K-Guard. Well, if you look at someone like Lachlan, I mean, it's at least in that ADCC run, it was like more like backside 50-50. If you look at someone like Ryan, he'll use it to get to backside 50-50, but he'll also use it to wrestle up quite a bit. He'll use it to get to neighboring guards that he uses. He'll use it to get to deep path. I'll use it to get to, to like waiter sweep and one leg X. Like there's a lot of versatility, but I think that the most important and the foundational layer to any guard is feeling like you have ways to destabilize your opponent, ways to keep yourself structurally safe, and just ways to honestly just feel calm, 
physically relaxed and like you can breathe. So that would be the first thing that I would, you know, try to tackle with you if you walked into the gym. Like, how do we get to K Guard and it feel comfortable? Like when we get there, does do you do you feel relaxed or does it feel like you're grabbing my leg like a koala and like trying to latch on for dear life you know <laughs> making sure that we're able to get to these positions stay safe and think are like the most important pieces it would probably make for like a better instagram reel if i showed you how to do like k guard to the backside heel hook but i don't really really i don't really think that would be the way to get the most out of it and i don't really think that's a way to get very good at it yeah, I agree. There is very much an endpoint based way of thinking in jujitsu. And I think Instagram real culture is exactly the perfect illustration of this, right? People want the heel hook finish. What they're not interested in, but what unfortunately actually matters is how they got there in the first place and how they overcame their opponent's defenses, right? Because you brought this up, a structural safety is key for any position like this and having a way to destabilize. Being able to technically do the heel hook is not particularly helpful if you cannot do it against a resisting opponent because you don't know how to destabilize them properly. I mean, when you're going in for, for K-Guard, one, of course, detail, like you said, is getting close underneath them and hugging that leg. Any other pointers you have on how to achieve Kazushi and destabilization from that position? I'd love to explore how you go about doing this. Yeah, I, I would say that being relaxed, like not feeling like you're squeezing that leg is really, really important. This is something that would really need to like put my hands on someone to be able to explain, but it's almost like when you shake someone's hand and they give you like the really, really firm, aggressive handshake, like the really squeezy handshake. Like, I don't think that that's how the position should be played. It should be pretty loose and pretty relaxed while also maintaining this kind of like anchoring point to your partner while they can't, eh, that doesn't allow them to just leave. So that's like a really important piece that I think people miss. And when you watch it, you think you're really connected and, and squeezing, but that's not really how, at least in my opinion, it's done. So so that is, I think, the first thing that I would try to fix. And, that, and that's the first thing that I would fix with most guards, making people feel like they're relaxed. You know, When you tense up like that and you really bite down, there is certain benefits to that. But I think the biggest drawback is it, it's trickier to feel what's happening. And part of creating Kazushi is being able to feel what your partner is doing, being able to feel how they respond and where they're driving in and when you're going to release that wall, when you're going to put a wall in place. And for me, the biggest just kind of benefactor to that has been just being calm and being relaxed and being okay with feeling what's going to go on. You know, it's funny you bring that up because I literally just about an hour ago finished writing an article about this exact concept here and just the importance of being relaxed most of the time. I mean, there is a time and a place for when you want to put on the squeeze for sure. But normally when that comes up, the right time for me to actually put on the squeeze pressure is when I have basically annihilated your base. You simply cannot move and I am totally confident in my own base. So where this comes up a lot, for example, is if I'm like in the middle of a stack pass on you, I can put a bit of a squeeze then. But if we're in a looser position, like if we're doing stand up or in a lot of guards, K guard being an example, going right to the over squeeze can be dangerous, not just because you're going to fatigue your muscles out, but like you said, because that tension is a telegraphing sign, right? It's a lot easier for your opponent to feel what you're going to do and to predict your intentions if they can feel the tension. And beyond that, it's also a lot easier for them to move you because if you're tight and rigid, 
it's easier for them to swing you around and manipulate your body, right? It's the example of, you know, what's easier to, to kind of like manipulate a stick or to manipulate a wet noodle, right? If someone is really rigid and strong and, and not moving and they're, and they're tense, it's a lot easier to secure an arm drag to knock them off balance, but the looseness makes it harder for that to happen. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that, you know, when you first start training, everybody almost like picks an archetype of person to be, you know, when some people are that like really physical, like I'm going to squeeze the crap out of you and like make this happen. You know what I mean? Like some people get those (laughs) attributes and that's kind of like the archetype that they, they start with other people have like flexibility and they'll try to use that to their advantage. I I was listening to something the other day and I think, I think it was the the Mikey Musa Messi podcast. and, And he was just talking about, you know, like people wanting to use the attributes that they have. And I think that what winds up happening down the line is like to me now like jujitsu is this like evolving thing it doesn't just stay like i'm gonna always be noodly and i'm not always gonna be really solid it's gonna be like this malleable thing that changes and flows and moves based off what my the context of the situation requires so i think that in the beginning it makes sense for people to be like hey i'm gonna be like a like flexibly like omoplata rubber guard guy you know because i have those attributes and i want to get really good at a thing so i feel dangerous it's like cool got it that makes sense but if you've been training for a long time and you already have all of these different skills, or at least if you're making good usage of your time, you should. It's like, how do I find a way to just integrate all of these different tools with like proper movement, body mechanics, and feel to hopefully create something kind of special and and kind of different? Yeah, absolutely. I think that lack of rigid thinking is so key to getting better at jujitsu over the long term, understanding that there isn't one right way to do things that always applies and that there can be variability. You know, like you said, the big strong guy doesn't have to be the the guy who goes in with a power squeeze all the time. There's different tools for different jobs. And if you can detach your idea of, okay, what kind of restrictions do I have on my body type? And you can look more holistically at all of the options available. It's going to make it a lot easier to get out of your own head and to be open-minded about other concepts. Because you're right, there are very few situations in the realm of jujitsu or anything really where there's one right answer. There's good recommendations and there's things that are often or generally true, but there's always going to be exceptions and weird edge cases. And so there's just are not that many situations where you can say, do this and it's always going to be true 100% of the time. Right. And I think that's one of the cool things about jujitsu is like, if there is something that appeals to you, whether it's like visually or the way it feels when you're doing it, like you can totally make that happen for you and your body type. Like there a lot of the time, big guys have like the stereotypical big guy game. Like, oh, I'm going to play a deep half and I'm going to wrestle up a little bit and I'm going to go for over-unders and stack passes. But, you know, there's plenty of big guys that have really creative, cool, different games. And I just think that's really, really like fun to explore and fun to see. And I think that it's something that all of us should be trying to do. I hope that whenever, you know, my time comes and I'm at the true end of my jujitsu journey, I'm just like a master of everything. I want to know how to do it all. I want to be able to play every guard and pass with every style and have amazing judo and wrestling and just skill everywhere. And at, at least for me, that's that's what's kept things fun because you can get good at a thing, but what happens if like, I don't know, you play a different guard or you just like a blue belt now mm-hmm. and you wind up like limiting yourself and limiting your growth even if you could tap everybody in the room and 
And that, I think, can get a, a bit boring and a bit stale. So, you know, in the past, especially when I was a bit younger and I was in like a really, really competitive room, I would feel like, well, I can't play a different guard or I can't play a different position because if I do, I'm just going to get murdered. And then I won't do well at my competition. While now I'll give myself like more time to like play around with this position, play around with this new tool, see how this fits with my other weapons. Oh, my student just tapped me. Cool. What did you do? How did you tap me? Let's try that again. And I think just like being okay with shifting your training approach will give you a better like long-term yield, but probably like more short-term frustration, especially if it's not something that you are used to doing. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, hey, if I wanted to quickly summarize your philosophy here on K-Guard, I've been taking notes here and trying to put this into a mental framework here. It sounds like the big things that you're, you advocate for, and this is just general good jujitsu advice across the board, but also very applicable here, yeah. is number one, establish structural safety. Make sure that whatever you're doing, you're in a position where your opponent can't just squish you, smash you. Make sure that your position is defensible and that your frames are solid and strong. Number two, you mentioned that it's so important to find a way to destabilize, which is key, right? Because once you get into the guard, you must have a way to get Kazushi or else it is inevitable that your opponent will escape. And number three, you mentioned the importance of staying relaxed in that position and not squeezing on for dear life, but to be loose and to flow with the role. Would you say that those are kind of the three big concepts here or was there anything that I missed or misrepresented? I would say that those were three. I would add one more and I would change the order. <laughs> so <laughs> the one that the one that I would add, which we didn't mention, is just breathing. And that's something that's so important. And I, what I actually like about my description of K-Guard is that it could apply to all guards in almost all positions in Jiu-Jitsu. And that's how I, I feel like you know that you're kind of like doing well. I would add breathing because that's just so important and something that's often overlooked. I would make the most important thing that I'm doing or the most important thing like being calm and being relaxed. The same way this conversation has a feel to it. Like I think that as it's gone on over the last hour, it's gotten like more calm, more relaxed, you know, like we've never met, we've never talked, you know, so we're like getting more relaxed with each other. And I think that just having that with your jujitsu is is just so important. I feel like I can tell what kind of role it's going to be almost right off the bat. And sometimes I'll stereotype. Sometimes I'll like see someone that comes in and they look all hyped up and they have tattoos and they're ripped. And I'm like, oh man, this guy's going to like get after it. And then they slap hands and it's like really relaxed and flowy and calm. And I'm like, okay, this wasn't what I was expecting, you know? So just identifying that that's an important thing to have is really, really important. And then I love the other things. Yeah, I want to be structurally sound. I want to have layers in between me and my opponent. And I want to feel calm and like I can breathe. And, and then I can start to create destabilization. And then once we can do that, then the conversation can really, really begin. Awesome. Amazing. And the thing I love about those ideas is, like you said, although they are applicable to K-Guard, they're also generally applicable. I mean, you can take these ideas and you can apply them to pretty much any guard. If you were to sit me down and ask me to explain the key ideas behind Delahiva Guard, I could say the exact same thing there. Very much is the same. The only difference would be how you go about doing it, right? The way that you create structural safety might be different if you're in a different guard, but the goal you're trying to achieve is the same. And I mean, you know, I love that kind of conceptual thing thinking, right? It's just so much more teachable to people and they get so much more benefit out of it than if you go into the reads and you start reciting individual tiny little details that only apply one in a hundred times. So this kind of stuff I think is super valuable. 
Yeah, it's funny though, because those things are really, really important too, you know? And a lot of the time it's easy to neglect the importance of those things when you have the knowledge. So I love these types of like conceptual conversations about jujitsu because it really challenges my understanding and the way that I think about things. And that has been something that Ryan's just helped me with just day in and day out over the last five years, just really challenging my understanding and how I think about martial arts and jujitsu. But like having those little details to actually express these ideas is so important uh, to me. This is these are almost like a like rules of communication, but like you can't talk to me about like the rules of communication if I don't know any words. So I think that both are really really important, and I think that you should probably be practicing both sides of this, you know, and and finding different ways to drill and practice and think about jujitsu and ways where you can like capitalize on the conceptual ideas that you're trying to add to your game are really, really important, but also taking the times to the time to be like, okay, well, I put my hand here for this sweep and then I put my foot there. And what do you, what do I like to do if you do blank, you know, and, and kind of get in the weeds with like the nitty gritty, but we should always be going back to these overarching themes that we can use to problem solve and, and check our work. Yeah. Yeah. What I found is that when you want to talk about big picture ideas and concepts, kind of the why of why you're doing things, audio is a great medium. But if you want to actually show the details, the specifics, the how, you sort of need visuals. So with all of that said, I mean, I know your instructional isn't out yet, but presumably the best way for people to keep abreast of that is to follow you and to stay in touch with you. If people wanted to follow your work so that they know when this thing releases, how could they go about doing that? Yeah, just you just um, find me on Instagram, Adam Benayoun, just my name, so pretty easy to find. And yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. There's some like good conceptual ideas that we talked about in here, and I think that you could you could be a white belt or you could be a black belt listening to this, and you could take something away from it. But I think that what a lot of the newer listeners would probably struggle with is like, okay, you explain these cool ideas to me and that now how do I do it? Like, what mm -hmm. do I do now? You know? So having the visual guide of like, okay, this is how you could express this idea from K guard or from De La Kiva or from one leg X or from an over under on the feet, you know? And I think that that's been a really cool thing to see, especially as I've uh, trained with, you know, some like higher level wrestlers or standing grapplers and just having them explain some things to me. I'm like, wow, there is like something that connects these arts. And if we're all speaking the same language, then it doesn't, it's like, okay, now I understand why I'm doing this move. And now I understand why you feel like a brick. And when I do it, I just get run over. So it, it's cool, man. It's like, uh, you definitely need both. It's, it's, it's hard to say what's more important. I don't know. I guess it just kind of depends on where you are in your martial arts journey. But at, at all points, we definitely need a bit of both. Yeah, it's kind of a chicken and an egg thing. I don't, I don't know if there's one better than the other. I think they're both two things that you need to study in parallel. You know, if you only study concepts, then you'll have a very good conceptual understanding of why things work, but you might not have the on the ground knowledge to be able to pull the trigger reliably in any given situation, right? There's just a likelihood that you're going to see something you haven't before. Whereas on the other hand, if you just focus on technique, and you don't even think about how things fit together, then, you know, you'll probably get okay at jujitsu, but it's going to take a long time. It's going to take a lot longer than if you really thought about why things work the way that they do. Yeah. And it'll also be a lot harder for you to teach, right? If you can't understand the concepts and you just tell people to repeat technical details, it's very hard to be a good instructor. So I think you need a bit of both, right? I don't think you can get by with just one without the other. It kind of, to me, is a chicken and an egg thing. Yeah, definitely need both. And I think that sometimes that's a, that's a challenge for people, especially like like when I hear the phrase, this that person's naturally gifted, a lot of the time to me, or like 
talented. To me, that's like they're they have this like awareness for how to move their body and for how to move that's like really, really developed, but that doesn't always mean that they can explain what they're doing or why they're doing it, you know? So it can be a blessing and a curse. Sometimes, you know, like you see these people that are incredible jujitsu athletes and you watch what they do and it's unbelievable. But when they explain it, you're like, is that really what you were doing? And, you know, I, I don't know, maybe that's really how they think about it. But at least for me, it's always felt like I need a little bit more to make this work and it just felt like like being able to tap in on what more meant has been you know like unlocking a box that that, that's really helped me improve my martial arts awesome well i will put a link to your instagram in the show notes here so if anyone wants to follow you and get notified when the k guard instructional is live just do that just follow through the show notes click on adam's instagram follow him and then there you go beyond that I mean, let's plug the Academy, Black Cat. Do you have a website yet? Is there anywhere I can send people or should we just get them to follow you on Instagram for now and wait for an announcement later? Yeah, uh, blackcatjujitsu.com. You can follow the Instagram at Black Cat Springfield. Uh, I've been putting you know, so much work into the space trying to make it you know, just uh, as cool of a jujitsu gym as I can and, and something that I think a lot of people will hopefully be, be you know, happy to call their, their martial arts home. It's been a really, really fun, I guess, just uh, process, you know, getting to come up in so many different gyms, being able to see the different things I loved about all these different gyms, and just to kind of compare and contrast and to think about what I'd want in my own space and that's been like a really cool part about gym ownership even though i'm i guess i'm like a toddler of a gym owner you know like i'm so new in my in my gym ownership journey but that's been a really really cool thing being able to like select what i want and to design a curriculum the way that i want or even to be able to pick the color of the mats you know you get to really make things your own and i'm just i'm so excited to 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 have it and to share with you guys so if you're ever in the virginia springfield area please come by Awesome. Well, best of luck, man. I I hope the best for you. I hope the best for your academy. I love the approach you're espousing here. So I think it's going to turn out all right, man. And I'm excited to see your instructional. And hey, on that note, if anyone wants to check out our stuff, I recommend going and taking a look at BJJ Mental Models Premium. We actually just redid the whole site and the whole product. Took a lot of time and money to do it, but it's hugely improved, uh, massively better user experience and better integration with things like podcast players. But basically what you get is over 50 plus hours of structured courseware from grapplers who are a lot more talented than me (laughs) and they put a lot more thought into these things than me so you won't have to just listen to me ramble on but if you want to listen to like john thomas or margo ciccarelli for example explain how they tick that's a great place to do that we also have our awesome coaching service and our community bundled into that as well definitely recommend checking it out if you want to take a look just go to bjjmentalmodels.com and again as always i'll just put a link right in the show notes but with that said adam thanks a lot for coming by I thought this was a good one, man. This is a position that for me, I've been very curious about, but it has not been uh, far on my development list yet. So conversations like this are really helpful to me and to people like me who are just in the early stages of integrating this into their game. For sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. You know, it's been a lot of fun just getting to talk about jujitsu. Yeah, I love it. You know, anytime I get to talk about jujitsu, do jujitsu, like just I'm all about it. So thanks for having me on. And, you know, I hope it was helpful. (laughs) No problem, Adam. And of course, to everyone listening, thanks to you as well. Really do appreciate it. Take care. And we'll talk to you in the next episode next week. See ya. 